A reading from Luke 6, from verse 20. And he, that is Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There is a widespread view that fundamentally, at its core, what it is to be Christian is simply to be nice. It's all about your behaviour. It's all about how you fit into the wider society about you. It's to be a good chap or a good chap-ess. Though, therefore, there's a lot of talk about Christian values. Now, Christian values are just things that you do. Christian values are just the way in which you react and interact with other people in wider society. And so, Christian values are seen as tolerance and kindness and compassion and things like that. But let's be honest, these things aren't explicitly Christian because there are plenty of atheists who can be kind and compassionate. We wouldn't want to deny that. And then also, you get this issue. Because if Christianity really is simply about being nice to people and fitting in in wider society, you have to ask yourself this question. Why did they kill Jesus in the first place? If Jesus was such a nice person, why did he end up executed? No, there's something more going on. And there's something more going on in this passage as well. Because Jesus is talking about lots of blessings, and this is nice stuff. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, and so on and so forth. But then there's a troubling piece tucked away in the middle of the passage. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So when Jesus is speaking to his followers, when he is talking to his disciples, he's anticipating that they will be persecuted, that they will be excluded and that they will be reviled. 
Well, that doesn't seem the sort of thing that would happen to nice people, does it? And why would all this happen to them? Well, Jesus is clear. On account of the Son of Man. So in other words, it's as the disciples live out their lives as Christians, as they obey the teachings of Christ, as they pass on the teachings of Christ, that they will be excluded and reviled and spurned. So why is this? Why is it that Jesus is such a divisive figure after all? Why is it that they ended up crucifying him? Well, I think the answer comes in all of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is simply uh, a kingdom made up of people who have God as their king. Another way of translating the word kingdom of God would be the reign of God or the rule of God. It's not geographical. It hasn't got boundaries and border guards and things like that. The kingdom of God is simply made up of those who follow God. And sometimes the kingdom of God in the scriptures is contrasted with the kingdom of the world, with the world around us. And so, to put it rather crudely, to put it rather simplistically, we might say that the entire world is made up of two sorts of people. Those who seek to have God as their king, God as the one whom they obey, God as the one whom they follow, and others who don't. And for those who don't, it often means, and this is not trying to denigrate these people, this is just what it is to be human, that they follow their own desires instead. Which means that they look to their own comfort first, that they look to their own well-being first. As I say, that's just what it is to be human. I'm not trying to say that that's in and of itself extraordinarily wrong. That's just human nature. But those who live under the rule of God even a very different way. Again, look at the end of this passage. If you're struck on the cheek, your first, your human response is to protect yourself. But Jesus says, no, offer the other also. If somebody takes away your cloak, your first instinct is to demand it back. But Jesus says, no, do not withhold your tunic either. If somebody begs for you, your instinct is to say, no, I shall keep my cash. But Jesus says, give to everyone. Somebody takes your goods from you, your first instinct is to demand them back. But Jesus says, do not demand them back. That we are to act to others as we hope that they would act to us. This is very revolutionary stuff. It's saying that we shouldn't put ourselves foremost, that our own self-interest isn't the most important thing, but it's the serving of God, which is the most important thing. And this is why those apostles were excluded and reviled and spurned, why so many of them ended up executed, because they were passing on the teachings of Christ. And actually, those teachings are quite revolutionary. Actually, they say that we are not the most important thing. Actually, they say that we are sinful, and the wider world does not want to hear that particular message. But nonetheless, within all of this stuff that might be seen as bad news because it talks about persecution, we should also note that there is a deep blessedness to be experienced by those who follow Christ because we our reward is great in heaven. 
as we don't simply limit our view to all that we can see around us and the time, the moment, the fraction of a second in which we live, if we widen our view to all eternity, if we simply place ourselves in the great scheme of time as it rolls on forward, as we accept the reality of heaven and the fact that the reality of heaven endures much longer than those three score years and ten or even more that we tend to live now, as we put it all into its great context, we see there is a great blessedness in having God as our king, a great blessedness in being reconciled to God, a great blessedness in being able to call God our Father. It may be that at times people call us names and don't talk to us and rather reject what it is what we have to say. But in the end, what we have is of such great surpassing value that that is as if nothing. Follow the teachings of the Son of Man. Follow Christ. People may mock you for it, but in the end, it's the only path to fullness, to wholeness, and to reconciliation to God. <laughs>